God's word this morning. God, we are grateful. Um, we're grateful for your activity in our lives, even in ways we don't know. And I'm absolutely convinced this past week you've been active behind the curtain um, for our good, for our well-being, for our joy. And some, uh, a lot of those situations we don't even know about. We don't know, we have no idea what you are prepared to do on our behalf. And sometimes because we don't know, uh, we choose other options. And we uh, forfeit what you have for us. So would you give us wisdom? Um, and we believe that your Holy Spirit is real. We believe he's present right now in this place, this very place at 3rd and Lincoln. We believe that there's a presence in the invisible world, and it's your Holy Spirit who will speak to us. So give us ears to hear and the ability to respond uh, to do whatever you ask us to do. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, who here is hoping to take the Indiana driver's written test sometime in the next few months? Come on, somebody. Who, who will have to take it or wants to take it? Okay, all right. Stay over there. Stay over there. And actually, come up here. Why don't you come up here? Come on. Come on. Get up here. No, no, I'm sorry. She was, she had raised her hand. No, let, no, you, Andrea. And I want Andrea up here. She was the one I was pointing to. Sorry about that. Sorry about Okay, this is Andrea Hera. Um, here you go, Andrea. Practice test time. All right, have a seat. Have a seat. Okay, nobody shout out the answers. This is not like, no, you got to face the screen now. This is where the test is. This is not like phone a friend or anything, all right? All right, question number one, Andrea. This is the easy one. What is the maximum single axle weight for trucks? A, 17,000, B, 20,000, C, 80,000, D, all of the above. B. Actually, the correct answer is B in that one. Very good, all right. Round of applause. All right, next question. If another vehicle is passing you on the left-hand side of the road, allow the other vehicle to pass safely, and A, increase your speed to follow the vehicle, B, pull your vehicle into the left lane, C, pull your vehicle to the right edge of the road, D, do not increase your speed, or E, please get off your cell phone. Um, let's go with C. No. The correct answer on number two, I hear some whining from the crowd. D, do not increase your speed. Number three, keep going. If your right wheels are off the pavement, you should A, gradually turn back on the pavement. B, brake lightly. C, hold the wheel firmly, steer left. D, all of the above or E, please get off your cell phone. <laughs> correct answer is? Uh, e. Correct answer is A, gradually turn back on the pavement. Number three, number four, I mean. What does this sign mean? A, your grandpa's driving. <laughs> B, slippery when wet, C, have fun, or D, you are near a high school, so watch out for drivers who are texting while driving. <laughs> Correct answer is? It should be B, but I like A. The, yeah, the answer is B, but you like A, and D is definitely true, although for those of you who are teenagers, you know it's illegal for you to do that, so I remind my daughter that all the time. Number five. When a school bus is stopped on a two-lane road and is loading or unloading students, you must A, complain, B, pass at a slow speed, C, sound your horn and pass with caution. I like that one. D, drive on if coming from the opposite direction, or E, stop when red sign, stop sign extends from the bus. Andrea? E. E, very good. All right. A few more. Number six, the Indiana Driver's Manual states a rule to follow is, at least, is to stay at least A, eight seconds behind the vehicle, 
two seconds behind the vehicle, six seconds behind the vehicle, or D, 10 seconds behind the vehicle ahead if the other driver is texting? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Let's go with A. Okay, audience, B, two second rule, two second rule, all right? Uh, I remember that from my driver ed in high school, believe it or not. All right, next question. Number seven, if a policeman tells you to stop and it contradicts a traffic sign or signal, you should A, obey the sign or signal, B, obey the policeman, C, slow down, or D, get off your cell phone. Correct answer? I don't think Nathan's here today, is he, Peach? Correct answer is? Um, uh, what's this? I don't understand the signal. Like a stoplight. Oh, then yeah, yeah A. Actually, the correct answer is B, you obey the policeman. Ticket for you times two. All right, number eight, a few more. If two, if two vehicles come to an intersection at the same time, this is one of those real tough ones, who is required, and, and the assumption is like a four-way stop. I didn't say that. Oh, I know this one. Who is, required, who is required to yield the right of way? Person on the left, person to the north. Younger person should yield to the older. Person turning left, the person on the right. This is how they word these questions. It's so confusing. It's E. The correct question is, the person on the right gets precedence, but the question is who's yielding, so the person on the left has to yield. That's what I'm saying. It's the, it's the wording. It's the wording. All right, uh, nine. You're driving on a country road and are approaching the intersection, and you have a stop sign. But you can see from miles in all directions that no one is coming. Does the law require you to stop? A, yes. No, obey the stop sign. B, no one will ever know. Andrea? Hey. Actually, this is not even a question on the driver's side. I made this one up because this is one of those ethical dilemmas you like to kind of think about. How many of you would just drive on through? Okay. That's it. All right. Now, next one. Okay. Ne number 10. Andrea. And this is for Andrea. Have you knowingly violated any traffic laws in the last week? No, because I was in Florida and Mark was driving the whole time. <laughs> How many of you, by raising your hand, would say you have knowingly violated some traffic law this week? There's no policeman here. We're not taking pictures. All right. Go ahead and have a seat, Andrea. Thanks, Andrea. Um, some of you have probably... Some of you have probably... Um, My guess is some of you have probably rolled through a stop sign. I've done that this week. Some of you have pushed a yellow light beyond reason. Well, it was yellow when I thought about going through. I know that was a block away. But my guess is we've all knowingly violated, those of us who drive, knowingly have violated traffic laws. Because to some degree, we're not quite sure that it really matters if we really stop at a full stop or if the yellow really means yellow or if the speed limit 70 really means 70 or does that mean 81 or what does it mean? But here's, here's another question. Have you known they violated any of God's laws this week? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of that. And it kind of shifts the gears a little bit. You know, when it comes to traffic laws, it's like, yeah, I can roll through this. I can push the yellow. I can go a little faster. I really don't have to do this or this, this, but now we shift gears here a little bit and it kind of feels a little more heavy. It's not the intent, but it's, you know, yeah, it is the intent. It, it should feel heavier right now. And I don't mean that in a, in, in, have you knowingly violated any of God's laws this last week? And you might think, oh great, this is going to be a really great heavy morning. And, but have you? You know, uh, forgiveness. 
Have you resisted forgiving someone this week? Have you stretched the truth this week? Have you been dishonest about something this week? Have your eyes seen or, or you know, observed something or watched something intentionally that you know you shouldn't have been seeing? Have you spoken uh, overly critically about someone? Are you guilty of complaining against God? And my guess is, just like with traffic, for those of us who would drive, every one of us, maybe not knowingly at the time, but if we took an honest assessment of the last seven days of our lives, we'd realize, yeah, I, I, I did a few things that I really, and I look back, I, I know it really wasn't a sh- what I should have done. And what do you, and, and does, does God keep track of that? And is God some kind of a, legalistic keep track of the smallest details of the law and if you do if you go 70 and one half miles per hour in a 70 zone does he slap a ticket on you you know yeah you you said something negative about somebody this week that was probably hurtful about them but they probably deserved it right so shouldn't god understand that and yeah you were filling out your taxes this week and you did forget to put something down but is that a big deal? I mean, it was only $50 or whatever. Have you knowingly violated any of God's laws in the last week? Now, here's what we've been doing the last few weeks. We've been talking about this, the series we're doing is calling Remember. And it's from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, remember, the book of Deuteronomy is the, it's also called the fifth book of Moses. Uh, starting with the beginning of the Bible, out loud if you know them with me, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the Pentateuch, the five books, Penta, Pentagon, five books opening up the Hebrew Bible, which we call the Christian New Testament, also called the fifth book of Moses, and the whole theme is the whole day of remembering. Now, what we've been uh, looking at is, if you remember the children of Israel, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, had been slaves in Egypt, uh, God, through Moses, delivered them. The Red Sea parted, and they, they went through the Sinai Peninsula, the desert, because of some really bad choices they made in terms of rebelling against God. It took them 40 years to get from point A to point B when it should have been less than a few-week journey, even with a large group on foot. But they're up here at the yellow dot above the small R there, and they're about ready to cross the Jordan River into what is now modern-day Israel. And you remember we talked about once they crossed, you know, we, we finished the story uh, a few weeks ago, but then we went back. Once they crossed the river, they built this pile of stones to, and Moses kept, and Joshua kept saying, you need to remember what God's done for you and bring you to this point. So that's kind of where the story ends. And then you back up into the beginning of Deuteronomy and it's right before they crossed the river into the promised land. It was the life they'd always wanted. It was the promise God had promised them. It was the transition of all transitions in life. Now stop for a second. My guess is every one of us or many of us have some kind of life transition facing us. And usually when transitions happen, it's a really ripe time for a lot of spiritual sensitivity and openness to what God wants to do in your life. Maybe some of you are graduating soon. Maybe some of you are changing jobs. Maybe some of you are having babies. Maybe some of you are moving. I don't know. But life transition is part of life. So Moses, the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses, before they cross the river, telling them to remember what happened in the last 40 plus years because they would need those memories 
to dictate and drive and to help them understand how to live life in this land of promise because the land of promise was what they'd all been waiting for. But it wasn't like they crossed the river and all of a sudden things got easier, but they'd crossed the river into a whole new place of promise and God's provision. And Moses said, but don't forget these things. So the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses kind of recounting to people uh, their journey and saying, remember this. So it's a, it's a pretty long-winded speech on Moses' part. Now, go to the next slide here. Remember last week, we talked about remember your failure. Because one of the things Moses told him is, don't forget the times where you rebelled against God in the past. And you really messed up. You made bad choices. You didn't do what God asked you to do. And God was leading you toward life and prosperity. But you chose your own, own desires because of your own fear. But then go to the next one here. But then we go into Deuteronomy 6, and that's where we are, we'll look at today. In Deuteronomy 6, again, this is part of Moses. I don't know if Moses had them all like sitting in the grass in a big field. They didn't have sound systems then, so I don't know if he yelled. I don't know how it all worked. But Moses was giving this long talk to people, and Deuteronomy 6 is just part of that. We're just, I'm just choosing part of that. And Deuteronomy 6 is actually one of the more well-known parts. It's actually a very prominent part for anyone who has a Jewish background. You talk to anybody who's from any kind of actively involved in their Jewish faith, uh, Deuteronomy 6 uh, will be a significant kind of linchpin on, some, on their own uh, experience of God. But here's what Moses says. Again, this is his before we cross the river speech. And again, remember, Moses was not allowed to go to the promised land because some choices he had made. And so this was his last kind of words to these people. This is what he says. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands. Now, you know, decrees, commands, rules, laws. Notice what kind of... Moses' theme here. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you'll enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now that's a phrase right there that is a central part of any Jewish child's training in their own faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your, our God, the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. Again, you see Moses is focusing on kind of understanding and knowing the laws of God that I'm giving you today. Next slide. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Next one. Here's, here's the theme today. Remember to obey. Now you might think, well, wait a minute. I, some of you might think, I've been a Christian for years and yeah, that's, I get it. And other of you might have, like I have sometimes, a knee-jerk reaction against the word obey because it sounds heavy. But Moses, and if you read the whole of Deuteronomy, he talks about the commands and the regulations and the statutes of God like ad nauseum. Like, remember these, remember these, remember these. Don't forget them, remember them. Don't forget these laws. Don't forget the commands of God. And if, we, if you or I were in the crowd, we'd probably be like, hasn't he already said this? Did he like lose his notes and is he going back? But over and over and over, Moses says, don't forget to obey. 
Now, a couple things from this passage. I've got three things I'm going to talk about. First of all is this, obedience matters. You know, I ask you whether you've knowingly violated the, any laws of God this week. And, and uh, you can roll through a stop sign, you can push a yellow light, and it doesn't matter quite as much as when you choose not to forgive, when you choose not to be generous, when you choose uh, not to love those who are hard to love. And, uh, and the word obedience, like I said, that's one of those words that kind of, it's like, okay, children, obey your parents, and I have to obey this. But for us, if you're an adult here, which most of us are, obedience sounds like, well, I, that, I, don't, I don't like that. I, I react that way. I have kind of that bucking reaction. Now, here's a couple things. Here's a couple statements we make at Exodus. You've probably heard these statements. They're kind of like, you know, slogan statements, but we mean these statements, but we talk about, I trust Jesus. And we say that's really kind of the bedrock of what we're all about here. We trust Jesus. We talk about hearing and responding. We want people to hear the voice of God and respond in every or, everyday ordinary situations. We talk about stretching beyond comfort and having faith and taking risks for God. What if we changed the words and said this? Instead of I trust Jesus, I obey Jesus. What instead of hear and respond, hear and obey. Instead of stretch beyond comfort, obey beyond comfort. It has a little different feel to it, doesn't it? It feels a little more like an obligation, like, oh, I don't know about this now. I mean, if, if, if you were new to this church and you said, this is what we're all about. We obey Jesus, we hear and obey, and we obey beyond comfort, you'd probably be like, no, thanks. I'll go home and watch ESPN this morning. Thanks anyway. All right. One of the things we say too, next slide, one of the, our mindset values is we say we will teach ordinary people actually to do the specific things Jesus said to do. What if we said it this way? We will teach ordinary people to obey Jesus. I mean, the word obey just has kind of that, Ugh. I, I'll trust Jesus, but if I obey him, that sounds a little bit more like I have some kind of an obligation and heavy burden and I'm kind of imprisoned maybe, or I don't know. But obedience matters. Like I said, Moses, it's like, I was reading through this book of Deuteronomy recently. I'm just like, didn't Moses already say this? And you flip back. No, he's saying it again. Don't forget to obey. Don't, and this is in the Deuteronomy is where they also talk. It's the second place in the Bible. They list the Ten Commandments. You know, not murder, not stealing, no adultery, no coveting, honoring father and mother, no idols. And Moses is referring not only to that, but the, some of the larger sense of what God was wanting them to be as a people. He was wanting them to understand that God has put these guardrails to life in place, and it matters. You can't just roll through God's stop signs. You can't just pretend that the yellow light wasn't red. I mean, you can, but it's to your detriment. And obedience really does matter. And Moses just harps on that, not only in this passage, but in other passages. Second thing I want to say from this passage, if you want to practice obeying, you have to practice remembering. Now, what does Moses say in this passage? He says, repeat them again and again to your children. Tie them on your arms. Tie them on your forehead. I mean, it's like, you got to remember these things. Now, uh, a couple years ago, I had a chance to fly over to Israel, and I was on the El Al, which is the Israeli airline flight. And there is a segment of Judaism, modern-day Judaism, that are called the Orthodox Jews. And uh, if, when you see them, they'll have, like, black plain clothes on, and, and the men are typified by, like, a black top hat with a pretty wide brim and full beards and 
sideburns that kind of dangle down in curls. And they have all biblical reasons why they say they do this. But it was interesting because in the back of the plane at certain times of the day, and uh, the Jewish stewardesses were, had no, weren't going to stop these men from doing it, they would go in the back of the plane and they had these like long leather straps and they would wrap them around their arms. And they had these things they would wrap around their head that had like little scrolls in them. And they would start doing their prayers. You know, and it was like, you watch them and you're like, this is kind of, wow. But they're doing, now, I'm not saying that's what we're supposed to be doing. But what they were doing was they were practicing remembering. Now, there's all kinds of issues people have with Orthodox Jews or, you know, whatever. But the point is, they figured out, they're trying some kind of mechanism that helps remember. Another thing you'll see, how many of you have ever seen one of these in a Jewish person's home? Or in an office? It's called a mezuzah. And if you know somebody who's Jewish and you go into their home, if they're any kind of observant Jew, they will have these posted to the doorposts of their house, which is what Moses told them to do. And it's usually a small thing. There's a Hebrew letter on there, which is the first letter of the word here, hero Israel, Shema is the actual word. And then inside it is actually, most often than not, is actually a little scroll that has some of the commandments listed on it. And it's supposed to be their way of reminding themselves when they leave and enter the house, don't forget the laws of God. We were, my wife and I were looking at a house once to buy years ago, and I noticed going into the house, this thing on the doorpost, and I thought it was just something wrong. But I looked closely, and it was something like this. They, they, look, they all look different. There's some of them really ornamental. But they do things that practice remembering. Now, here's the question I'll ask you. What do you do that helps you remember? My guess is most of us don't have mezuzahs on our doors and most of us don't wrap leather straps around our arms or tie verses to our foreheads. But I know a lot of you get up in the morning and have a time set aside just to read your Bible. And that's your mechanism to remember. And sometimes you've read things as I've read things and you realize what you read, you thought, oh, wait a minute, I think God's telling me that I've kind of pushed the limit on, I've rolled through this stop sign and I need to kind of understand how to become this kind of person. There was a time in my life where I used to set my watch to beep every hour and when it would beep, it was just my way of trying to remember God. I don't know what your strategies are, but you need to have some kind of a, something that you do that helps you remember God because if you want to obey, you've got to practice remembering. And again, maybe once a week on Sunday morning is not going to help you become the kind of person God wants you to be. You've got to have other habits and rhythms in your life that bring you in touch with what God is saying to you. You have to. If you want to be the kind of person that God says you can be, full of life and love and joy. Checking in once a week is not going to do it. There has to be. I mean, Moses says every day, talk about it with your kids, do this, repeat it over and over. Moses is like, don't ever forget the way that God's told you to live life because God knows what he's doing. So if you want to practice obeying, you have to practice remembering. Third thing, your obedience will lead to your abundance. Now, I want you to say this with me, but change the pronouns. I want you to say, my obedience will lead to my abundance. All right, everybody together. My obedience will lead to my abundance. One more time. My obedience will lead to my abundance. 
we tend to think the opposite is true. We tend to think if I obey, then I'm, then then I'm uh, repressed. If I obey God or obey anybody for that matter, it, 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 it binds up my freedoms. I have to walk around like this. I have to be one of these legalistic, obedient people. We tend to think, we tend to look at the laws of God, the ways that God said to live life. We tend to look at that as if we're looking at uh, prison walls. Well, why does God have to put up any walls? Because these prison walls, I mean, it's kind of, what's he keeping away from? We're having, you know, instead of realizing that maybe the walls that God has built, that we, he's put into, into effect in, these, in the way to live life, maybe it's like the walls or the fences by Niagara Falls. It's there to protect you from dying. And sometimes we have to make that switch in our heads to realize God is not like communist China or the old days of Russia where they walled you in and not let you out because he wants to make sure he keeps you in line. Some of you think that's true about God. It is not true about God. Yes, God puts up walls around your sexuality, your money, your forgiveness, your speech, your integrity. But he does it because he does not want you to fall into your death into the Niagara Falls. So yes, there's laws. Yes, there's boundaries that God's put in place. But it's not to stifle you. It's, it's about your abundance. You read the book of Deuteronomy whenever Moses talks about laws. He uses words like this. If you obey, you'll live, you'll prosper, you'll multiply. All will go well in this land of milk and honey, this land of plenty, and you'll have joy. He uses all kinds of words like that. That if you obey God, if you obey what he has to say, you will have the abundant, full of life kind of life that not only God talked about, but Jesus reconfirms in the New Testament. And the bottom line is, if we're honest, and if I'm honest, is sometimes I'm not quite sure if I believe that. I'm not quite sure if God really has my best in mind. Yes, I know that to be true. I'd answer it correctly if I had to take a test about what God is like. But if I'm honest about how I live my life, and maybe you, same thing, about how you live your life during the week, you're not quite sure if obedience will lead to abundance. Obedience feels more like restriction, repression, or binding, not abundance. But over and over, when Moses tells them, and he, he uses language of warning and danger, but it's no different than if I had my kids in Niagara Falls and I was overly zealous about telling them, don't go near that wall. Is it because I want them to kind of, is it because I'm a killjoy dad? Sometimes maybe I am, but not in that case I wouldn't be. In that case it's because I love my kids so much I don't want them to even come close to falling off and hurting themselves, harming themselves or killing themselves. That's what God is like. He's not saying hey, guard your sexuality, speak the truth only. He's not saying that because God is some kind of oppressive, controlling um, deity who just loves to keep people under his big, big, big thumb. He's not that way. Your obedience will lead to your abundance. Um, He'll multiply. He will increase your joy. He will increase all kinds of things in your life. The last slide, and I'm going to spend a few minutes on this one. Jesus says, do this to remember me. Um, And we talk about communion and the Last Supper and Passover. 
But before I hit on that anymore, let me just say again, if there's some pattern in your life where you are consistently rolling through the stop signs of God's laws, I'll use that word, God's parameters, God's boundaries, can I just, can I implore you to, to pay attention to what God's trying to get your attention about and stay away from the edge of the precipice? And I, I, I know, I don't know who, but I, and as a crowd decide, there are people, many of us, probably even big ways, maybe even small ways that maybe God will bring to our attention this week where we are rolling through some of the stop signs of God's laws. Okay, now you might say, okay, now Jesus comes on the scene and some of you, some of us, sometimes we're like, oh, good, Jesus is here. No more Old Testament God. You know, forget this laws and stone blocks with, you know, you know, all these letters carved in them and Forget this God that kind of swings his fist around and pushes people under his feet and his thumb or whatever we think God does. But what the Bible tells us is Jesus is the exact representation of God. So Jesus only did whatever would be an exact expression of the character of God. So maybe we need to start letting the spirit of Jesus and the character of Jesus and the loving tenderness faithfulness of Jesus start flavoring how we understand the Old Testament God because the Old Testament God is no different than the New Testament God. He's full of unfailing love. We read that earlier. He's full of forgiveness. He wants so much for you and I to be fully alive. He wants our marriages to be hot, if I can use that theological term. He wants our relationships with our kids to be life-giving and joy-filled. He wants our relationship with our enemies to be forgiving and generous. He wants our relationship with our past to be forgiving and walking away and healing and growing. He wants you to not be anxious about money anymore. He wants you not to be anxious about your future. He wants you to sleep well at night. He wants you to have joy for living and life. He wants you to take care of aliens, orphans, and widows, not out of guilt, but out of just a sense of overflowing joy and provision and gratitude for what God's done in your life. And I can go on and on and on, but again, who, who doesn't want to be a person like that? That's able to forgive, able to have joy, able to hear God, able to experience joy in your relationships of marriage, parenting, whatever, friendships. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he starts saying things to the Jewish people who heard their whole lives these laws. And these laws in their mind were these heavy burdens like, oh, if I'm a Christian, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, what a bummer. And then Jesus says to them, no, 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 come unto me. All of you are feeling weary and heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. Because my yoke is easy. The yoke represents the Jewish person, the set of expectations that your deity places upon you. And Jesus said, no, no, it's easy. Not easy like simple, but I'm not going to burden you. I'm going to actually help you become the kind of person who naturally obeys and naturally becomes alive. And he said to the people, I didn't come to abolish all those laws. Because some people were hopefully Jesus was going to be like, oh, forget those. No, he said, I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them in you. I came to help you be.
of people that could naturally forgive, naturally run away from sexual temptation, naturally be generous, naturally tell the truth completely all the time, naturally be forgiving, loving, generous, and grateful, and full of integrity all the time. And these average Jewish men and women, boys and girls, none whom were religious in their, in their pedigree, were drawn to Jesus. They're like, that's the life we've always wanted. We've been overburdened by this Christianity. In their case, it was Judaism, but religion that just made us feel guilty all the time. And there are some of you this morning that you define yourself by your sin. And you wouldn't even say publicly what that is, and you shouldn't. But you have this sense of, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll always be this. I'll always struggle with this. I'll always struggle with that. And Jesus comes and says, that is not who you are. I came to lift that burden off of you. I came to put my spirit in you. And what does Jesus say? He said, I'm going to put my spirit in you. And he reflects what the Old Testament says. And you will have me in you. And I will give you the ability to be these things. And so the, the, the Ten Commandments, which we typically think of, you know, we don't, I'm not going to, if we could do the sound system to echo my voice, we'd think, thou shalt not this. You know, thou shalt not. And it kind of is this heavy. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm not wiping out the Ten Commandments. What I'm saying is, if you give me your unconditional, hindered trust and let me do whatever I want to in your life, you will become the kind of person who shall not murder. You'll become the per- kind of person who will naturally shall not commit adultery. You'll become the kind of person who naturally will not covet. You will honor your mother and father. You will have no other guys before you, and you will be fully alive, full of joy, and the kind of person that you've always dreamed you could be. You will become that kind of person. But Jesus says, you got, but you got to follow me. You've got to obey me. You've got to trust me. And that's what he says. And that's the invitation to some of you here today, all of us here today, is walk away from the rolling stops. Walk away from running the red light and realize even in those small issues, obedience matters. Because that's one more place of your heart that God, Jesus can take and breathe life into. So when he said at the Last Supper, the night of the Passover before he was betrayed, tortured, crucified, and then eventually rose again, when he said, do this in remembrance of me, he said, what he wants us to remember is remember that I came to make you that kind of person. I came to help you be forgiving, loving, joyful, generous, a person of integrity, of gratitude. I came to breathe life into your marriage, life into your parenting, and life into your friendships. And he said, I gave my body, I shed my blood to break the stranglehold of guilt and break the stranglehold of this dutiful obligation that your religious background has put on you. And I'm saying you're now free to be the kind of person I want you to be. I'll close with this last illustration. There was a time when I was, I won't go into all the details, but it was a time where I was kind of wrestling with kind of God keeping me penned in. And I remember reading a psalm one time, Psalm 119, and the psalmist says, I will run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. And it's this sense of, and I remember thinking, oh, now I, I think I get it. The pathway, the boundaries of the pathway are for my freedom and for my abundance. I, I can stop bucking against the guardrails. And I don't know what guardrail you're bucking up against, but God says, you know, 
freedom. You can run free. So when Jesus says, do this remembrance to me, it's like, remember that I came to set you free. Remember that I'm for you, not against you. God is for you, not against you. Here's how we do it at Exodus. We're going to sing a few more songs. We'll take communion. And in doing so, we're called to remember. Not remember how awful we are, but remember how good and grateful, gracious and forgiving God is. There'll be people at each of the aisles with bread. You just, they'll offer you the bread, tear off a piece. Then you offer the cup, you dip it in. Don't try to drink out of the cup. It's just how we do it here. Um, and we don't dismiss my rose. Nobody, we don't keep track of who's up or who's down. Anybody's welcome. Anybody's welcome who would say, I want to be the kind of person that obeys Jesus. As much as I know of myself, that's what I know. That's what I want. I want to be that kind of person. And anybody's welcome who has that desire to say, as much as I know of me, I'll give that to Jesus. All right, same time over the side, underneath the backboard over there, there's a room that says prayer on top of it. There will be people over there to pray with you and for you about anything. Could be related to the sermon today, could not be related. But it's related to some needs you sense in your life that you want someone to pray for. So let me pray and then we'll uh, take. Jesus, we are grateful that you gave yourself for our freedom, for our abundance, for our joy, for our wholeness, for our healing. And uh, we gratefully and gladly take this bread and this juice as a way to remember uh, what you've done for us and that you've uh, you set us free. And we, we're grateful and we thank you and we ask this all in your name. Amen.